Um, so Ladies of Grace has a really special place in my heart because I so distinctly remember my very first Ladies of Grace night. Um, while I've been a member here for 20 years, I delayed going to Ladies of Grace night for years because I was busy with my kids and with homeschooling and I had health issues. But if you want to know the real truth, I was just pretty much afraid. If Stacy Torres wasn't going to Ladies of Grace night, I wasn't going to go because she was my only security blanket at church. She was the only one that I had to have next to me at all times in order to feel comfortable. I'm not a person that other people guess to feel really insecure. People usually guess that I'm kind of confident, but I'm not. I have often felt really alone, feeling like nobody wants to talk to me, nobody wants to sit with me, live life with me, or really know me at all. I spent quite a few years at GCF feeling pretty alone. But I remember pulling up to the parking lot at Central Campus and I sat in my car for so long and I gave myself this pep talk. I kept saying like, these are Christian ladies. They're going to be nice to you. You can get out of the car. They love Jesus. I mean, what are they going to do? Not let you in? Every cell in my body was yelling at me to drive away and go buy fries and watch something on Netflix. But instead, I opened my door and I got out of my car. And when I walked into that room, there was a table at the entrance with the lady giving out name tags. And she looked up at me and she went, oh, Rondi DeBoer, you don't come to these things. And I was like, it's my first time. And she said, well, I guess I'll have to let you in. Now she meant that in friendly jest because she had no idea how insecure I felt. She had no idea how long it took me to get out of my car. And I remember I put on my name tag and I walked to the center of the room and I just felt frozen. It was a hard night. So you might be asking, if I was so nervous, if I was so insecure, why did I ever go? If I felt such anxiety, why did I get out of my car instead of going for hot, crispy, salty french fries? Well, it was because I had an ache. I had a longing inside of me that was far deeper than my fear. I wanted to know people and be known by them. I wanted to belong. As we go through life, we constantly ask ourselves questions in our head, often subconsciously. Will anyone like me? If I show myself who I really am, will they love me? Am I alone or do I belong? This ache that I'm describing is real and it is universal and it is God-given. You see, we often go to church and we listen to the preaching, we sing, we say hello to one person we know, and then we say hello to one person we don't know, and then we get in our cars and we fight to live a life of faith with our doubts, our emotions, our successes, and our struggles all by ourselves until the next Sunday rolls around. Is this the way that the Christian life is supposed to be? Is this the life abundantly that I've read about? Surely I'm missing something. Deep inside, I know there has to be more than I'm experiencing. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked at somebody else and you think they have something that I don't have? 
They have a spark for the Lord. They have an excitement for the church that is missing in my heart. There's lots of elements of more in scripture. Tonight, we're going to talk about just one. We're going to talk about the discipline of fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And when we hear the word fellowship, we usually think of a social activity where everybody happens to be Christians. You know, let's meet for fellowship. Or it's fellowship night at the roller rink. I've never been to a roller rink fellowship night, but I think it's a great idea. We even have a little room in the back of the church that we call the fellowship hall where we drink our coffee and we ask each other, how was your week? Because we can't think of anything else to ask. In practicality, we often view fellowship as an extra. It's like frosting on the church cake. We think if we can find a church with good preaching, good doctrine, and good music that you can almost dance to, then that's all that's required for a really healthy church. Fellowship is often viewed as optional. We will add in fellowship when we have the time, when things slow down a little bit. Or maybe I'll just find my two or three people and I'll just fellowship with them. But the word fellowship is never used this way in the Bible. It is never a thing, it is never a meeting, it is never an organized event, and it is never a room in the back of the church. And it is never portrayed as optional or extra. Everywhere you read about fellowship in the church, it is within a context that paints a much deeper and a more beautiful picture. In my studying and reading for this, a verse that has reshaped my thinking on fellowship is Acts 42. It's a verse that other people consider kind of a throwaway verse, but it really struck me. It's talking about Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, falls on everybody, and 3,000 people are saved, and everyone's all, woohoo, right? And it says, they devoted, who, the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. In this verse, we see a list of what these new believers are devoting themselves to, the early church, teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And we are really quick to recognize the importance of preaching the word, sharing communion, and praying. Those are foundational. They're spiritual disciplines that we all agree are essential to the Christian life. We would never consider any of those optional, but yet here in this list, we find the word koinonia, fellowship. How weird would it be to include fellowship in this list along with teaching and prayer and communion if we used our dreary definitions of fellowship where we chat for five minutes, forget everything we heard, go home, and we face the Christian life alone. That kind of fellowship would never be on this list. Fellowship must mean something more. We need a biblical view of fellowship. So. I've read a ton of books and they all define fellowship. So what is it? Well, I took all those definitions and I boil it down to this. They all have this core. Fellowship is a sharing of the Christian life together. It's real, it is practical. Fellowship is close, transparent, it is honest, it is personal, it is sacrificial, and it is immensely rewarding in scripture. This is the kind of fellowship that believers dedicated themselves to. It is, a, it is a sharing of life. It's the kind of relationship that deep down all of us really long for. It's not a once a week thing. It is an ongoing, constant relationship with other believers. 
and fellowship cannot take its rightful place on the list of essential and foundational spiritual disciplines until we view it in this biblical light. Our culture talks a lot about community. Communities are usually brought together by common goals, like gym clubs, cancer walks, pro-life ideas. But we as believers, as sisters in Christ, we have a very different kind of unity. We don't just share a common goal, we share a common faith, a common savior, a common gospel experience, and a common indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We share a common life, the very life that we have in Christ. You see, you and I are spiritually bound together. And this is a commonality that goes beyond our education, our backgrounds, our ethnicity, our marital status. It goes beyond our childhood experiences, our health, our wealth, our interests, our talents, our hobbies. I mean, the women in this room right now, we are all so different. Most of us would never know each other apart from Christ. Where would our paths ever cross? It is Christ that binds us together. It is the spirit of having one Lord and Savior of all that make us so connected. And the shared gospel experience of realizing our sinful nature, seeing our need for the gospel, knowing that grace of God and experiencing that daily, trudging and walking on the path, seeking God and growing in faith, that is a tie that really, truly binds us together. Fellowship is a sharing of life together in a unified way that the world cannot understand. We are not a club. Because you see, biblically, we belong to each other. We belong to one another. When Christ prayed in the garden, what did he ask for the believers that he was leaving behind? He prayed for unity. He said that they may be one even as we are one. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Think about that. We are to be one as Christ was one with the Father. And I don't get that. I can't explain it. But it's true because the word of God says so. You see, God doesn't save groups of people. He saves us as individuals, but he never leaves us as individuals. Instead, he immediately takes all the individuals in this room and in this world, and he weaves us together with a spiritual bond and unity that is supernatural by nature. Once you were a people, but now, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We are saved into something. We are saved into community, into a relationship, into koinonia and a sharing of our life together. I'm an individual and you're an individual, but we are all part of a glorious whole. And it may go against our very individualistic culture, but the dominating description of the church is not a group of individuals, it is a unit. We are the bride of Christ. My two favorite images of us as a, as a unit is us as a building and us as a body. In 1 Peter, we are described as living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house. And these stones are not just laying around as individuals like rubble out in the field. Instead, we are fit together, each stone supporting each other, joined together, interlocked, and fortified. 
I am a stone and you are stone, but we are uniquely shaped and sanded down and chiseled sometimes in order to fit together with the rest into something bigger, stronger, and unified. The most famous and the most used analogy the Bible uses for us is a picture of the body. My theme verse for the night, I'm kind of all over the place with the Bible, but my theme verse is Romans 12:5. It says, in Christ we, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that beautiful? It stirs up that I want more inside of me. God takes this crazy mix of forgiven sinners and he transforms us into the very body of Christ. And every believer, every believer, whether they want to be or not, is part of this body. I don't care if you're a social butterfly or a recluse. Once you were saved, you were saved into the body. We are all parts of the same whole, just like your leg and your shoulder and your hands are all part of the larger you. We belong to each other. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So think about it. When you cut your finger, how does the rest of your body respond? Right? Your other hand applies pressure. Your eyes cry, your feet run to the cabinet, your knees bend to go get the Band-Aid, right? Your finger is cut, but your entire body responds to that cut. When you put your hand on a hot stove, your entire body literally jumps back in order to protect that hand. And your whole body feels awful until the burn is completely healed. And that is the picture that God has given us in how we are supposed to relate to each other. This is how it should be among believers who belong to one another. In Romans, it says, be devoted to one another, honor one another, share with the Lord's people who are in need, rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. As a body, we react when those around us are affected by something. So check yourself. How do you respond when you hear someone in your body is struggling? When someone in family group shares that they are tempted, do you find yourself shocked? Do you respond with criticism and condemnation? Do you gossip? Maybe just a little bit? Or do you leap into action to support, encourage, admonish, and love them? And how do you react when someone among you is being honored, when someone's being praised, when they pull somebody up and they say, look at this person, they've done a great job. Are you secretly jealous or critical? Maybe you compare yourself to them and you find yourself wanting, I wish I could be more like them. When one part of the body is lifted up, we should all rejoice because we belong to each other. We only feel competition and comparison when we think of ourselves as an individual. But when we apply the idea that we are all one body, we can truly rejoice with those who are being celebrated because all of us have sacrificed for each other's good and we have built into one another. When my husband tells me that I have great legs, I'm not jealous, right? Because they're mine. I shaved them. I put on the lotion. I, I'm, I love it. I love it when he tells me I have great legs. Why? Because that's me. That's me. It's hard to be jealous of your own legs. It's hard to be critical of somebody who fully belongs to you. 
that you have invested in, that you've supported, and that you have loved. We belong to one another. And this kind of fellowship is important. It is essential. And we need each other. We need each other because we have an enemy who wants us to believe that we are destined to be alone. I know I have heard that lie in my head. He doesn't want us to dive into fellowship and reap the powerful blessings of this kind of support and encouragement. He wants the body to malfunction, to be broken, to be unattached, because a severed finger can't accomplish much. The enemy wants us fighting against each other, not fighting for each other to persevere in the faith. And that's something that fellowship does. It helps us persevere. It's really amazing when you look at the scriptures how many of them tie fellowship to perseverance because fellowship gives us the context within to say to each other, Christ is enough. Stay strong. He is faithful in your heartache. Persevere. We have to fight for fellowship and we have to practice it. So on the tables, um, there's like a paper and it's got a list of all the one another verses. And not all of them, there's a couple missing, but that's all I could fit on the page. So these are all the one another verses and we usually read them and we think, oh, that's so cute. I wanna put that on a plaque and hang that on the wall and stuff. But I want you to really take that home and read the list slowly. Read the list slowly. This is how we are to relate to one another. There's some application questions on the side as well. All these verses are summed up in this. There's one main command, love one another. So I want you to look at the women in this room. I mean, literally, like right now, turn your heads and look at each other. Okay, these faces that are across the table, these faces that are across the room, these are the women who belong to you. This is your body. Know them and love them. Meet their needs, listen to their hearts, bind up their wounds and hold their hand. Laugh, cry, question, and pray with these women who are on the same road of faith as you. You see, we have this union with Christ that should be overflowing into a joyful and affectionate love for each other. And this love for each other, this concern for other people's well-being, this passion for other people's joy and growth, it will transform your life. And it is part of the more that we are all wishing we had. We're hungry for it. This is a high calling, and some of you might feel ill-equipped for this, but you're not. You might be sitting here and thinking, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm telling you, you are here for a purpose. You can speak truth to the lies that somebody else is hearing in their head. They can preach hope to the hopelessness that you feel sometimes in your heart. You are not in this room by accident. You are not in the body by accident. Love one another, not with a worldly love, but with a love that the Holy Spirit provides, a gospel-fed love. And you might be thinking, you know, I don't know, I'm just not as talented as other people. I'm not as good at making friends. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I can't do this. I'll let the leaders take care of that. 
but I'm telling you that love is the only essential element for great fellowship. In Corinthians, it talks about all the spiritual gifts, and then it says, without love, we are nothing. It doesn't matter what your giftings are. It is love that defines the richness of our fellowship with one another. We often pick our leaders and we pick people that we admire by their giftings and their talents when really we should be picking who we emulate by their capacity to love the people around them. It's not spiritual gifts, it's not talents, it's not popularity, personality, it's not wisdom, it's not knowledge, it's not looks, age, or experience. Love is the essential element for great biblical fellowship. Because every tiny little act of love that we show each other has all the power of God behind it. You might feel small, but you are not insignificant, not here and not with us and not with God working in our midst. We belong to one another and we are all equally important parts of this body. We love by being present in each other's lives. We love by being all in for one another. We love by turning off our cell phones and making eye contact when we meet someone for coffee. It means we listen when we would rather speak and it means going to home group when I am far more comfortable watching TV on my couch in my jammies with my iced coffee. I was actually convicted just recently. I didn't want to go to family group this one week, and I just wanted to stay at home and watch movies. And I found myself thinking, why am I spending so much time watching imaginary people have imaginary relationships, and I'm letting it stop me from having real relationships with real people? I'm like entertaining myself to death. Fellowship sometimes means we get inconvenienced. When someone needs to talk at 2 a.m. or on Christmas morning or on your anniversary weekend, when their whole world has fallen apart, and it means missing some things I'd rather not miss because somebody else's need is greater than mine. It means being transparent and honest. It means telling people I'm lonely. It means laying down our lives for our brothers. It means inviting people into your home, into your struggles, into your successes, and it means inviting people into your heart, which I know is really risky. We often find our cliques, our comfortable group. It's always easier to hang out with people who think like you and act like you and live like you. They're soccer moms and military wives, fitness fanatics, old people, young people, we raise turkeys. You know, we got all these commonalities and we're like, oh, all the turkey people sit together. <laughs> but how sad is that? How devastating is that? It is destructive and it is very unlike our Lord. So break out of your cliques. Break out of yourselves. Break out of what's comfortable. We have to embrace all the women in this church not just your favorites and not just the easy ones. These are your people. This is your body. Sam Alberry says, it's impossible to be in Christ and not belong to others. A Christian, by definition, has a connection with and a responsibility to other Christians. You cannot claim Christ and avoid his people. And I know people are weird. You've always got the over-aggressive hugger the know-it-all, the shy mumblers, the people who seem to have it all together. You know, the people who seem to have it all together, they're often very lonely because people are too intimidated to become their friend. 
You've got the athletic, the dramatic, the artist, the offensive question asker. The women who can never remember your name, the over-cheerful, the ever-complainer, the rebel, the college professor, the wilderness gal, and that sweet, sweet woman that sells homemade toilet paper on Etsy. <laughs> you laugh, but it's pretty cool. This is your body. These are your sisters. This is your family. Embrace them, and hopefully, in turn, they will embrace you in your weirdness. I was reading a book by Jelly Allen, and she said this. She said, you will always be doing community with sinners. And in the context of the book, she meant that people are going to sin against you. But when I read it, I thought, yeah, sinners like me. Be prepared, because we are going to fail each other. I had a failure moment earlier this year. I was at a gathering like this, and there was a woman, a lady, that I didn't know, and it was very obvious that she was alone, and instead of talking to her, I walked right past her and I made a beeline to my friend that makes me feel good about myself. And as I passed her, it really hit me. I thought, how dare I walk by this lady whose eyes are searching the room for someone to talk to and pretend I don't notice? How dare I pass her by? I mean, praise God, he didn't do that to me. If I were just to have taken a second to think, my Savior loves her. He died for her. She belongs to him. And in fact, she belongs to me like my very flesh. This woman belongs to me. I mean, what is wrong with me? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. In that moment, I did not love the gospel enough. I momentarily forgot what I have been saved from, who has saved me from it, and what he has saved me into. I didn't love my Savior enough, and it's painful to say it out loud, but it's true. And sometimes we think it's no big deal when we do things like that, but it is a big deal because it reveals to us what we truly believe in our hearts. So if you see yourself in my failure, we have to give ourselves grace. Let's be honest, we all love ourselves more than the gospel. Don't give yourself the goal of perfection. Just give yourself the goal of growing a little bit at a time because sanctification just takes a lifetime. I will disappoint you. And I'm sure some of you will disappoint me, but I do know that God will not disappoint us. He is the author of our unity. He is sovereign over the people that are in this room, and the results are in his hands. So where do we start with the spiritual discipline of fellowship? Well, it starts with putting yourself in places where connection can happen. The church provides some opportunities to grow in fellowship. You don't have to do all of them, but maybe take advantage of one or two. Join a home group, a discipleship group. Come to Ladies of Grace. But you can also create your own moments of fellowship. In fact, Jesus celebrated and laughed and he had fun. He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. He had a bit of a reputation for being a partier. And by doing so, he gave us the approval of just having a good time with the people you love for the glory of God. 
So invite people into your home. Tell some jokes until the people who just had a baby almost pee their pants. <laughs> Make some appetizers, practice hospitality, and just become a safe and happy place for someone else. Fellowship really is a discipline. It's something you can actually practice, like any other skill in life, Then you get better and better the more you do it. So you'll be uncomfortable at first, but just keep going. When you hear a need, think to yourself, well, how can I meet that need? Can I, can I take a meal? Can I give them a, send them a card? Can I be praying for them? When someone is rejoicing, think to yourself, well, how can I celebrate with them? Should I throw them a party? Should I, should I send them a gift? Should I, what should I do? I should do something. How can we celebrate together? And I mean, you can't be all things to all people. You can't be like the source of fellowship for the church, but you can be something to someone. So tonight I encourage you to take one step deeper towards fellowship. Jump in, it doesn't have to be complicated. Smile, speak the truth, laugh, cry, initiate conversations. Send a text when you think of someone. Answer the phone. Pray over people, deliver dinner, ask good questions, encourage, lift up, remind yourself and others of the gospel. Babysit, carry boxes, hug them, and sit in silence. There's a ministry of just being there sometimes. Throw a game night, an 80s party, a movie marathon. Listen, be honest about your weaknesses. Invite other people to meet your needs. That's often harder. We like to be the one bringing the meal. But you got to let people bring you what you need sometimes. Give them the chance to grow. Reach out and spend some time together. And if you're spending time with me, bring pastries. <laughs> Get close and stay close, because the more that we view ourselves as one body, the more fellowship will naturally flow between us. We belong to each other. That night when I went to my First Ladies of Grace night, I remember standing there in the middle of the room, looking around for somewhere to belong. I did the thing that your mom teaches you in first grade, that if you're ever feeling lonely, you should find someone else who looks lonely and be their friend, but I swear I was the only lonely person in the room. So what do I do? Do I go pretend that I need to use the bathroom for the next 20 minutes? That might start stories. Do I sneak out of the sanctuary and go get those fries? Do I just continue to stand here like a statue? And then I looked up and I met the eyes of a woman who was making coffee in the kitchen. And I didn't know her, but I knew her name. That's all I knew. And so I walked over and I said, Carrie Hensley, I don't have any friends here. I feel utterly alone and I want to leave. Can I please sit with you? And Carrie smiled her beautiful smile and she showed me where to set down my stuff and she spent the rest of that night making me feel like I belonged there. Fellowship is often found in these little, tiny, mundane moments, but these moments are not truly mundane, are they? They're often monumental. God lives and he works in these small acts of unity within his body. Now, I didn't feel like totally plugged into church after that first night, but that first night did set me on a path for me to feel like I belong here tonight with you. It's been a journey. 
Fellowship is a sharing of our life together. It is beautiful and it is essential because we were not made to go through our life alone. We weren't made to work alone or struggle alone or celebrate alone or cry alone or laugh alone or make decisions alone or apply the gospel alone or overcome sin alone or rejoice in the truth of what God has done in our lives alone. We were meant to do all of those things together. We have been saved into a body. So if you're like me and you're longing for more in your life of faith, the discipline of fellowship is a really great place to start. So open up and connect with your body because we belong to one another. It's to the glory of God and it is to our own benefit that he has made us belong to one another. Thanks.